This podcast was brought to you by withaim.co. In the last episode of Vanishing Shadows, we witnessed Lee experiencing a profound transformation. The night spent with Jesse wasn't just a fleeting moment. It was a catalyst for newfound confidence and self-worth. As Lee navigates the complexities of her relationship with Hazel, we see her grappling with forgiveness and understanding, especially after Hazel's cold demeanor at the Oyster Bar. But just as Lee finds solace in Jesse's company and the simple comforts of his world, her life takes another unexpected turn. As we delve into the next chapter, remember to follow Daily Bedtime Tales to ride every wave of this emotional journey. Will Lee find the balance she desperately seeks, or will the tides pull her in a new direction? In sociological terms, they call it the fundamental attribution error. Basically, it means that when people see someone in a bad situation, they tend to believe that individual brought it on themselves. What did I think of the homeless before I became one of them? Not much is the short answer. This is the story of Lee Crawford and how a series of bad choices flipped her life upside down. But what if there's an escape? One night, sleeping in her car with an ocean view, a desperate cry shattered the silence. I'm sorry. And then I hear a splash. What the hell is this woman doing? It's just April. The Pacific will be frigid. If I hadn't heard her cries, this stranger would have drowned, as she clearly intended. You should have left me. I don't want to be here. You're listening to Vanishing Shadows. This is Episode 8, The Great Escape. We sit in my car, parked behind a fast food restaurant a few blocks from the spa. We've left Hazel's Mercedes there, in the lot. She says we will be safer, less conspicuous in my Toyota. I'm not sure what she means, but I do know that her luxury vehicle is less likely to be towed away than my old Corolla. Hazel touches her eye gingerly. It's my own fault. I knew what Benjamin wanted from me, but I just couldn't do it. I couldn't degrade myself again. So he hit me. You have to get away from him. My voice is pleading. Now. I know, she says. My passport came. I got your ID, too. I meant to bring it, I just... I blinked. It's fine, I say, though I wish she had. I'm excited to see my new persona, to try it on and walk around in it. What will my new name be? I've already planned to tell people that Lee is my middle name. It's an easy sell. Lee is probably the most ubiquitous middle name in North America. I've got the cash and the ID, Hazel continues. I'm just afraid I won't make it to the airport. Why not? The cameras. Benjamin knows when I come and go. If I don't return from a yoga class or the gym on time, he'll have his men after me. His men? Security. He's defended all sorts of criminals. He's had death threats, attempts on his life. These men look out for him and keep an eye on me. He says it's for my protection. She snorts mirthlessly. But that's not what it's about. It's even worse than I thought. Hazel truly is a prisoner. I don't know what to say to her. I don't know how to help her. 
I feel her gaze on me. You look beautiful, by the way. Thanks, I smile. I look a bit like you. You do? She touches my hair. Maybe Carl only knows one haircut? I love it. I shake my head. And I'm flattered that there's a resemblance. Hazel bites her lip, her eyes still on me. I see a light in them, a spark even. My God, she says softly. You could pass for me. We're about the same height and size. And now we have the same hair. I guess, I say warily. She reaches for my hand, grips it. All I need is a head start, Lee. Time to get to the airport and get checked in. Even an hour. Two would be better. What are you suggesting? Her words come out in a torrent. I'll go to the gym and you can meet me there. We can exchange clothes. Then I'll get a cab to the airport and after about an hour you can drive my car back to my place. Are you serious? It'll work, Lee. You can drive past security, no problem. And then let yourself into the house with my keys. Make yourself a cup of tea or a snack. Benjamin will see you on camera and think you're me. He'll barely look at you, I promise. And I'll have time to get to the airport and get on the plane and leave. And then you can go. Dump my car, get back in yours, and disappear. Anxiety flutters in my belly. Does Hazel really expect me to let myself into her home? To risk an encounter with a violent man? To try to fool her husband and his security team? I'll make it worth your while, she adds, reading my reticence. I've managed to get quite a bit of money together. I'll leave you 50 grand. And the new ID. That's enough to start over, Lee. I blink at her for a moment, struggling to process her proposal. An hour ago, I was in a state of relaxed bliss. Now I'm being asked to impersonate my friend, to risk my own safety to help her flee an abusive marriage. And she's offering me money. A lot of money. A life-changing sum. Hazel is watching me, holding her breath. I see the hope on her face, the desperation. And I see that dark crescent of bruising under her pretty eye. Okay. I say softly. I'll do it. She bursts into tears then, wrapping her arms around my shoulders. Her face is pressed to mine, her relief and gratitude dripping down my cheek, dampening my neck. You're the best, she murmurs. My throat is too knotted to reply. Jesus Christ, Lee. Is that safe? I wasn't going to tell Jesse about the plan, but he could tell something was troubling me. We are on his sofa, my feet in his lap, sipping red wine. I had cooked for him tonight, bustling around his kitchen like it was my own. Cocova, an old standby, peeling the delicate pearl onions, browning the chicken, and flambéing the dish with cognac had felt familiar and comforting. After we'd eaten, Jesse insisted we leave the mess and take our wine to the living room. He'd been recounting a cute story about his nieces, Ella and Olive, playing a tortuous rendition of hot cross buns on their recorders. I'd smiled along, but I couldn't focus. 
My mind was trapped in Hazel's escape and my role in it. When he questioned me, it had all come pouring out. I'll only be in the house for an hour or so, I tell him. And her husband will think it's her. We're the same height. We have the same hair. That's breaking and entering. It's not, because I'll have a key. If her husband comes home, which he won't, I'll just say I was meeting Hazel. He's not going to call the cops on me. What if he hurts you? He won't, I say quickly. Though my mind flits to that soundproof room where Hazel has been abused and tortured. I have to help her. He could seriously injure her, or even kill her. You really care about her, don't you? My voice is husky. Yeah, I do. He sips his wine. When are you doing this? Tomorrow. Christ. He sets the glass on the coffee table. Why so soon? When I saw her yesterday, she had a black eye. Jessie winces, but I continue. And she's ready. She has her documents and cash. I swallow. She's leaving money for me. Really? He cocks an eyebrow. How much? Fifty grand. He lets out a low whistle. That's not why I'm doing it, though. Hazel has been a really good friend to me. My only friend. I do not say. My only comfort, companionship, and support. I know. He squeezes my socked feet in his lap. You're a good person. I am not a good person, but Jesse doesn't know that. He doesn't know that helping Hazel is an attempt to atone for past sins. The money is nice. I'd be a fool to turn it down. But this is about saving my friend. And it is about my karma. It's a lot of money, he says. She must be really rich. She is. Her husband's a criminal lawyer. Promise me you'll be careful. I'll be careful. He pulls me toward him for a kiss. It's gentle at first. But as always, it escalates quickly. Ever since that night in the alley, Jesse's hunger for me seems almost rabid. Our first night together had been tentative and tender. But as our relationship has developed, our sex life has become more... athletic. I'm fine with it. I enjoy it. But I can't help but miss the tender, romantic lovemaking of that first time. Let's go to bed, he growls in my ear. We get up off the couch and I grab the canvas bag near my feet. In it, I have a toothbrush, some makeup, a clean t-shirt, and panties. I never know when Jesse will be waiting for me after a shift, when I'll end up following him home in my car and spending the night. All my belongings are stuffed in the trunk, but I've taken to being prepared with my mini overnight bag. The sack feels suspiciously light, and I peer inside. My keys. I was sure I'd drop them in here after I'd parked on the street. I root around in my belongings, but they're not there. What's wrong? Jesse asks, sidling up beside me. I thought I put my keys in here. He buries his face in my neck while his hands explore my body. We can look for them after. I'd rather find them now. I try to sound casual, but my voice is tight. 
I can't admit that my car is on the street containing all my worldly possessions. If someone found my keys and opened my car, they could clean me out. Jesse shifts away from me. Okay, check your pockets. The keys are not in my pants. My khaki jacket is hanging near the door. I move to it and stuff my hands into each pocket. Nothing. Could you have left them in your car? Jesse asks. I couldn't have, I say, but panic burbles up in my chest. If my car is stolen, my entire life will be gone. I better check. Jesse stops me with a hand on my arm. I'll go. I don't want you out there alone at night. He doesn't know I spend virtually every night out there, alone. That I sleep with a knife in my lap. That I will use it. I will protect myself if I have to. Thank you, I murmur. After he leaves, I hurry to the small den space and push open the window. Jesse's apartment is on the ground floor, facing the alley. But if I lean out slightly, peep through the blinds, I can see my car on the side street. Not stolen, at least. Relief washes over me with the cool night breeze. It's not surprising that I would misplace my keys tonight. I am nervous about tomorrow. More than nervous. I'm afraid. I'd put on a brave face for Jesse. But what I am about to do for Hazel terrifies me. I see Jesse. Adidas slides on his feet. Approach my car and peer inside. It is tidier now. I've left a few toiletries and clothes here in the apartment. But will he know that I live there? After a moment, he turns back toward the building. The keys are not inside, evidently. Shit. I pull my head back inside, mind racing. If my keys are gone, I cannot execute the plan. I'll have to call Hazel and tell her to wait while I go to a dealership and get a replacement key. We'll have to put it off over the weekend, because Benjamin will be home. What if he hurts her again? Or worse? I'm at the apartment door when Jesse enters. He's smiling and holding my key ring. Thank God, I say, taking it from him. There is a single car key on the chain, a tiny key from the safe in my office at the restaurant, and a plastic letter L. Where did you find them? On the grass by the front walkway. He steps out of his slides. I guess you dropped them. There's only a car key on here, though. Where are the keys to your apartment? My face flushes involuntarily. I keep them separate, in the trunk. He gives me a quizzical look. It's a little odd to keep two key rings, but he won't suspect that I am homeless. And after tomorrow, I will add apartment keys to that ring. Hell, I might even get a new car. I move toward him, slide my arms around his waist. Despite my anxiety, his presence comforts me, calms me. And excites me. Thank you, I mumble into his neck. Now, where were we? We'll be back to daily bedtime tales right after this message. What if you could share your story with the world? What if you could inspire others with your passion, your message, or your vision? What if you had a team to help you craft the perfect story for your business or brand? Well, you can, and we at With AIM are here to make it happen. With AIM is more than just a podcast production company. We are your storytellers, 
your voice, and your partner in creating a podcast that will captivate your audience, showcase your brand's personality, and build a lasting relationship with your customers. So don't let your story go untold. Start your podcast today. Visit with aim.co slash podcast to learn more. That's with aim.co forward slash podcast. With AIM, be the voice of your brand. In the morning, we clean up the mess in the kitchen. Last night's red wine pounds between my eyebrows, and my stomach churns at the congealed food left on the plates. I hadn't meant to overindulge, but I'd been trying to settle my nerves, to blunt the edges of my fear. But how much of this awful feeling is a hangover? And how much is anxiety? Trepidation? Full-blown panic over what I'm about to do. Jesse has a client at 11 a.m., so I kiss him goodbye, drive to a coffee shop, and treat myself to a latte. With my steamy cup, I find a quiet table, only noticing its wobbly leg after I am seated. I don't relocate, though. I sip the expensive coffee, watching people come and go with practiced efficiency. They are going to work, to appointments, running errands. One day soon, my life will be as mundane. At 11.45, I return the empty cup and get back in my car. As I drive north, I realize that the extra caffeine was a bad idea. My hands are jittery on the steering wheel. My heart thuds at the base of my throat. Jesse's words from last night flicker through my mind as I take the exit. Promise me you'll be careful. I will be, of course, but I am just a pawn. Hazel has orchestrated the whole thing, and it feels surreal. Like a spy movie. A thriller. A getaway film with a plucky heroine and her stalwart sidekick. As instructed, I park on the street, a half block away from Hazel's gym. I don a ball cap over my straightened hair and grab a small gym bag that is buried in my trunk. I walk casually to the entrance of the gym, past Hazel's black Mercedes in the parking lot. There could be eyes on me right now, I realize. Sweat drips between my breasts. Signing in, I pay the $7.50 drop-in fee. I use my own name. Lee Gulliver. It's untraceable. And in a few hours, I will be someone entirely new. I decline the board receptionist's offer of a gym tour, but ask her to point me to the change room. No one pays me any attention as I hurry toward it. Hazel is there, seated on a wooden bench, scrolling through her phone. When I enter, her head snaps up. She is pale under her makeup, her eyes red and watery. The bruise above her cheekbone peeks through the concealer, reminding me of why I am here. I give her a weak smile, meant to convey my support, my gameness, but she doesn't return it. She just stands and starts to remove her clothes. I set my bag on the bench, drop my hat, and shrug out of my jacket. A shower is running in the background, but otherwise we are alone in the cool, tiled space. I slip out of my jeans and hand them to Hazel. She passes me her black leggings and her fitted workout top, and I struggle into them. They are clingy and unforgiving. I am slim but soft from diner food and lack of exercise, not tone like Hazel. I pray no one, Benjamin, will notice the difference. When we are dressed, we catch our reflections in the bank of mirrors running above the row of sinks. Hazel is wearing my jeans, t-shirt, jacket, and cap. Only the shoes are her own, 
Expensive black trainers, two sizes too small for me. I am dressed in pricey spandex, an oversized hoodie, worn black running shoes on my feet. The resemblance is astonishing. From a distance, we are virtually interchangeable. Hazel turns to face me. Thank you, Lee. I hear the tremor in her voice. I, I've never had a friend like you. My response is a small smile. I'm too moved to respond. The envelope is in the kitchen. She's referencing the money in my new ID. It's in the first drawer, beneath the blender. Got it. I managed to croak. She has already taken me through the layout of her house. The rooms that are monitored, the ones that are not. Only the bathrooms in Benjamin's study are free of cameras. The kitchen surveillance equipment is mounted above the cupboards, a bird's eye view. From that aspect, it will be impossible for Benjamin to determine that I am not his wife. I will enter, slip the envelope into my bag, and busy myself at the fridge. After a workout, Hazel often makes a salad. I will do the same. When the microwave clock displays two o'clock, I will gather her designer purse and car keys, get into the Mercedes, and leave. Drive to Trader Joe's, Hazel had advised me as we faced each other in my car. I'll drive your car there and catch a cab to the airport. What if I'm followed? You will be, she stated calmly. But Nate, the security guy, will just think you ran out of avocados or something. He won't panic. Until you don't come out. I will come out, of course. But Hazel won't. At Trader Joe's, I will go straight to the public bathroom. There, I'll ditch Hazel's hoodie, car keys, and her oversized purse. Inside it, she will leave me a jean jacket, a newsboy hat, and a smaller bag. With my new accessories and my hair pulled back, I will buy a juice and then go directly to my Toyota. The key will be on the back left tire. I will drive away unnoticed. That's when Benjamin will get the call that I'm missing, she'd said. And by then, I'll be in the air. I'll be safe. She smiled. And you'll be on your way to starting your new life. The shower turns off in the background. Soon, a woman will join us. I should go, Hazel says, her face paling even more. Maybe you could visit me someday? In Panama? How? Her eyes mist over as she realizes. There is no way. This is goodbye. Forever. She grabs me in a tight hug. When she releases me, we trade car keys, and she hands me a large pair of black Burberry sunglasses. I slip her a pair of drugstore aviators. Hazel looks about to say something else, but a muscular woman wrapped in a towel emerges from the shower. Before the woman can spot us together, Hazel is gone. It is not until I am in the black Mercedes, driving toward Hazel's waterfront home, that the magnitude of my mission hits me. If something goes wrong, I could be arrested. Or assaulted. Maybe even shot. I am a homeless person impersonating a wealthy woman. If I am found inside her home, it will not go well for me. And Hazel won't be around to back up my story. Will they think I've done something to her? Kidnapped her? disappeared her. Panic billows in my chest. 
But then I remember her bruises, her tears, her tales of Benjamin's twisted sexual games. I know I have to risk it. I have to set her free. I am setting myself free, too. In just over an hour, Lee Gulliver will be gone. Her debts, the anger and grievances against her, will vanish. I push thoughts of my family from my mind. The finality of this goodbye. They let me go. They chose Teresa. As I wind my way through the tall cedars and firs, I breathe slowly through my nose. I can do this. I must do this. For Hazel and for me. The driveway to the Laval home is black, freshly paved. With a brief wave of my fingertips, I pass the security guard parked at the end of it. As Hazel instructed, I ease into a parking spot to the right of the garage. I don't see a camera here, but when I move toward the door, I spot it and lower my gaze. The back of the house facing the road is rather unassuming, but I know the home is spectacular. Hazel has pointed to it from the beach. One night, I'd picked my way across the rocks and logs to get a better view. It is an architectural masterpiece of glass and steel, clinging precariously to the cliffside. The lights were on and I could see the high-end furnishings, but no one was inside. As I approach the entrance now, I look down, pretend to fumble with my keys. Hazel has marked the front door key with a small red dot, and I slip it into the lock. My hands tremble, but it turns easily. I open the door and step inside. It is tempting to gape at the open-plan splendor of this place. A two-story wall of glass displays the navy blue Pacific, a backdrop to sleek white furniture, low-slung and modern with dark wood accents. But I am Hazel. She would not gawk and wonder at her own home. I casually drop my car keys into a glass bowl on the teak sideboard and move into the living room. With a casual stride, I approach the windows. Surely Hazel does this, stares out at the glorious view. I won't attract Benjamin's attention if I take a moment to drink it in. White caps stipple the dark water, and rays of sunshine filter through the scrim of gray. In the distance, the sky grows menacing and angry. It will rain later. I turn away to admire the room that Hazel decorated. The low lacquered coffee table strategically covered in books on architecture and archaeology. A sterling silver bust of a woman, something ominous in her limbless form perched on a marble plinth. For a moment, I imagine I really am Hazel, the tragic heroine caught between beauty and ugliness, between privilege and abuse, a woman so desperate that she would walk away from all this. On a side table, a black and white photo in a silver frame catches my attention, Hazel and Benjamin at their wedding. It is candid but perfect. The groom stands behind his bride, arms wrapped around her slim waist. He wears a dark suit. She is in a simple strapless sheath. Hazel is laughing, her head thrown back, Benjamin's face nestled in the crook of her neck. Their happiness radiates from the frame. Was it real then? When did it all go wrong? Before I stare too long, I move to the kitchen. I am greeted by more white. Sleek, handleless cupboards quartz countertops, built-in Thermador appliances. 
I opened the first drawer below the restaurant-quality blender that would have cost a couple grand. The envelope is there, nestled on top of the cutlery. I snatch it up, feel the heft of it, at least two inches thick, then slip it into Hazel's purse. Setting the bag on the counter, I move to the fridge. Inside, I find a jumble of food, leftovers, bottles of wine, and condiments. It's a messy normalcy I hadn't expected in this pristine palace. Pulling out the salad ingredients, I set them on the center island. With my back to the camera mounted inconspicuously in an upper corner, I begin to chop a tomato. Is Benjamin watching me right now? Is he noticing the slight tremble in my hands? The way my ass doesn't fill out these pants the way Hazel's does? Will he send in security? But he is a busy man. Surely he doesn't have time to watch his wife make a salad. I am safe, I tell myself. I keep my eyes on the produce, on the knife slicing methodically through each item. When I have filled a salad bowl with vegetables, the clock on the microwave reads 128. Hazel had begged me for a two-hour head start. I'd loitered in the gym change room for 45 minutes. The drive to her home had taken 12. I've been inside this mansion for almost half an hour. In roughly 20 minutes, I can leave. Sitting down and eating is out of the question. So I grab a dishcloth and wipe the counter, scrubbing at an imaginary spot. When I am done, I check the clock again. 1.30. The bathroom. There are no surveillance cameras in the main floor powder room. According to the detailed floor plan Hazel shared with me, it's located between the kitchen and Benjamin's study. I stroll toward the privacy of the toilet. It's spacious for a powder room, with a pedestal sink, a toilet, and a small velvet chaise longue that is completely decorative. Obviously, no one lounges in a bathroom, but I sit on it, run my hands over the deep garnet fabric, stimulated by the tactile surface. When I have my own apartment, I will buy a velvet sofa. With the money Hazel has given me, I will fill my home with pretty things, sumptuous fabrics, feminine designs. At the sink, I lean my hands on the porcelain and take in my reflection. Other than the hair, I don't look much like Hazel. My coloring is fair, my bone structure less defined. If my face is exposed to the camera for more than a second, Benjamin will know I'm not his wife. My chest constricts, making it hard to breathe. This is too risky. I want to leave, but Hazel needs a few more minutes. With a gentle click, I open the door. What time is it now? I could go back into the monitored kitchen and check the clock, but I am right next to Benjamin's study. Hazel had mentioned the lack of cameras in his sanctuary. Benjamin likes his privacy, she'd said, though he afforded her none. And I'm curious to know more about the man Hazel is fleeing. What books does a sadist like to read? Does he collect anything other than Netsuke's? Will his home office provide any clue to his cruelty? His perversions? On silent feet, I slip down the hall toward the open door. I have just reached the entryway when I hear it. A crack. It could be a bird dropping a shell. A deer breaking a stick underfoot the wind knocking a cone from a tree. There could be any number of benign sources, but the sound sends a jolt of electricity through me. Someone is coming.
panic grips my throat. I have to get out of here. Hazel has had enough time to get away. But as I turn to go, something catches my eye. A hand. The sound I make is something between a gasp and a scream. I stumble backward, away from the motionless appendage, terrified that it will animate, that Benjamin Laval will come lunging out of his study toward me. But no one comes. The hand, resting on the arm of the office chair, doesn't move. I should turn and run, but I am gripped to the spot. There is a man sitting quietly in that chair. It has to be Hazel's husband. But why is he home? And why hasn't he heard me moving through his house? There's probably a simple explanation. Perhaps Benjamin had papers to retrieve from his office. And while there, he decided to take a nap. He is clearly a sound sleeper. So still. So silent. Or is something else wrong? Tentatively, I move around him for a better look. My eyes travel from the hand up the arm to the torso, and what I see clutches at my throat. Benjamin wears a gray button-down shirt, but the front is red, soaked with blood. I can see the stab marks in his chest, puncturing the fabric, four of them at least. His face is turned away, the dark hair matted and bloodied, and I feel dizzy, faint. This man is not asleep. He's dead murdered. I don't realize I am standing in a small pool of blood until I slip, going down on one knee, one hand. Bile rises in my throat as I clamor to my feet, the metallic scent sharp in my nostrils. I wipe the blood on my pants, Hazel's pants, but there is so much of it. Benjamin has been killed angrily, violently. And then... I notice the tattoo peeking out of the rolled cuff of his sleeve. It appears to be a hand-drawn skull. With my foot, I turn the chair around. And the face, slack, gruesome, is revealed. I scream, a guttural shriek of terror and pain. The man in the chair is Jesse. Follow Daily Bedtime Tales now and never miss a heartbeat of this captivating tale.